A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax. And think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Coronavirus Update. If you're in lockdown, just like me, don't worry. I've put together some of the best bits from my talk radio breakfast show into this daily podcast, so you won't miss any of the day's biggest coronavirus updates. Enjoy and stay safe. Online, on DAB and on the talk radio app. Talk Radio. Let's uh, speak now to the Housing Communities and Local Government Secretary, Robert Jenrick. Good morning to you. Hi, Julia. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Uh, let's talk, first of all, about uh, what you're here to initially to speak about, and that's rough sleeping. And we've seen, obviously, this huge initiative when we got into the lockdown. People told to go and stay in their homes. Of course, uh, we saw thousands of people didn't have homes uh, to stay in, and so emergency accommodation was found for those sleeping rough on the sleeps. But uh, and now the government is hoping to uh, use this opportunity to basically get all of these people off the streets for good. What are you going to do? Well, that's absolutely right. At the start of the pandemic, we were particularly worried about people sleeping rough on the streets. Uh, naturally, they're, they're very vulnerable um, without a roof over their head. But also, 60 or 70 percent of people sleeping rough have severe respiratory conditions. So they're clinically vulnerable to coronavirus as well. So we work to offer them accommodation, help them to get off the streets. And that was hugely successful. 90 percent of rough sleepers are now accommodated in temporary accommodation where local councils and charities are caring for them. But we have to think about what we do next. And so this week we're announcing that we're going to bring forward 6,000 homes that we're going to offer to those people so that they can move on into better accommodation and begin to rebuild their lives. Although, of course, we know that often for the people sleeping rough, um, them being on the streets is almost a symptom rather than a part of their problems. We've got, you know, people who are fleeing abusive relationships, but also people with alcohol, mental health and, and drug problems. Uh, and so they've got a whole variety of issues, which are the reasons why they end up l- losing the accommodation they previously had. Is this is finding them the accommodation itself? Is that the solution or is there much more that needs to be done? I'm afraid I can't hear uh, the housing secretary at the moment. I, oh, I think you, I think also my lovely listener can't hear him as well. Obviously, the vagaries of us all speaking to each other from our various homes. We'll do our best to get Robert Jenrick's line back up. But as he was just saying, 6,000 new homes are going to be made available within the next year or so to uh, help those people who are currently in accommodation, emergency accommodation. Apologies, uh, Mr. Jenrick, I thought our line just dropped a little bit. But um, I was just saying whether the, the actually the, the, the finding housing, finding a roof over people's heads isn't going to be the only solution because they've got a myriad other problems. That's absolutely right. I mean, rough sleeping is as much a crisis of mental health and addiction as it is of housing. So the 6,000 homes that we're bringing forward are also going to be accompanied by wraparound care. So individuals will have support workers, 
who will be checking in on them sometimes every day, uh, making sure that they are okay, that they uh, are relearning how to uh, go about, you know, some aspects of daily life, like uh, going to the shops, uh, getting training and work and so on. But above all, getting the health uh, support that they need on mental health and addiction. And, you know, if we can help people both to be housed, but then also give them the care that they need, we have a good chance of something positive coming out of, you know, the very difficult situation that we found ourselves in with coronavirus. This really is, I think, a once in a generation opportunity to reduce the number of people who sleep rough on our streets. Because for the first time in my lifetime, we have most of those people in safe accommodation. We know where they are. We know who they are. And we've been spending the last few weeks getting to know them and their particular health conditions so that we can support them in the future. Well, you talk about a very difficult situation. There's something of a tricky situation for the government right now. We're in a situation where uh, latest Office of National Statistic figures suggest we are in uh, a situation with 64,000 excess deaths since the beginning of March related to COVID or excess deaths that have happened, people not getting hospital treatment or, or, or going to A&E or their GP. Uh, we know people are still living on lockdown. Our economy is completely tanked. Lots of problems. And yet so many of the headlines in recent days have been about the Prime Minister's senior advisor, Dominic Cummings, and his breach of lockdown rules. Given that um, the British public, uh, 66% of them say he should resign, including most Tory voters and most Leave voters, and 80% believe that he did break lockdown rules, is it time for the Prime Minister to ask him to go? Well, look, Dominic Cummings gave his explanation. Um, the Prime Minister then asked him to do that publicly, to answer questions from the media, which he did on Monday for, for almost an hour the Prime Minister believes that he acted reasonably, that he acted within the law. And I think although many people in the country would disagree with the decisions that uh, Dominic Cummings took, I think people can understand the motivation, which was to protect his unwell wife, to protect his young child, and to ensure that he didn't spread the virus, that they self-isolated uh, as a family. And I understand that. I'm not going to to judge him and his family for the decisions that they Aren't took. You? Why, why, um, wait a second, the law, wait a minute, wait a minute. He was part of a government that was putting in place rules to keep us all safe. And, um, and yes, the law does judge us when we break those laws. I mean, if 80% of the British well, public, well, having Julie, watched what careful. he had to say, said that he did break the lockdown rules, does that mean we're all stupid? No, I think you have to be careful in, in what you're saying. He, he abided by the guidelines no, and acted didn't. within... The law. No, he didn't. You might disagree with the decisions that he and his family took. Yes, because he broke the law. Understand that they were taken, um, you know, in, in a difficult and challenging circumstance, as many many other people have faced across the country. But he did act within the guidelines, and so I think it's reasonable that he continues in post. But as you say, this has been distracting, and now it's important that we move on and focus on the other issues. Which are no, well, no, but, no, but we're not going to be able to move on, are we? You say he acted in difficult and challenging circumstance. His wife was ill. And they had one child. In what way is that a difficult or challenging circumstance for anyone um, in this country, any more than the many millions of people who also get ill and have a child? What made his circumstances so exceptional? They weren't even both ill. They certainly weren't both very ill. There is well, nothing he, that makes Dominic, his circumstances Dominic, exceptional. Dominic Cummings hasn't said that he's exceptional. You know, nobody is above 
the yes, law. Yes, he has. Yeah. These are his yeah. defences. There was an exception to the rule about lockdown, which enabled him to drive his family across the country and break the lockdown rules. That's what he claimed. So it, well, it wasn't exceptional for him. The guidelines said that if you have children, you should try to follow the rules to the best of your ability. But you have to uh, balance that with protecting your children. I think we can all understand that. Uh, that's a, you know, a, a natural and common sense. When was rule. his child at risk? Well, he was concerned that if both his wife and he became unwell, and he thought that was a strong likelihood. That well, why did he think that was a strong likelihood? They both did become unwell, that he would be best placed to look after his well, why did he? Why no? But why did someone? Why did someone who had sat in on the Sage Committee hearings, knowing that the vast majority of people who get coronavirus have no symptoms whatsoever, and the and the largest percentage of those who do get it uh, have only mild symptoms? Why did he think they would both become so ill? They would both be completely incapacitated uh, for to, to unable to look after their child. He knew that actually the the statistics said quite the opposite. Well, he did become very unwell. She didn't, though. Fortunately... She didn't. She was perfectly capable of taking care of their child. ...recovery. Uh, They were able to do that whilst balancing concern for their young child. As I say, I think, you know, people will... Opinions clearly vary on this. Many people disagree with the judgment uh, that he took. You you obviously do. But it, it was within the guidelines which enabled you to use that degree of discretion when looking after children... Now the point, I think, is how can we move forward? Certainly my focus as a cabinet minister is on the other issues that we've just been talking about, like rough sleeping, control. Well, yes, and we, and we should be moving forward. But hold on a minute. Hold, hold on a minute, Mr. Jenry. We can't move forward. We can't move forward if we as a public are being taken as false. Now, there'll be many people listening right now, shouting at the radio, saying they completely agree with you. But 80% of people, according to the polls, after hearing Dominic Cummings talk for an hour, giving his version of events, say they think he broke the lockdown rules. The the poll ratings for the Conservative Party have plunged. The poll ratings for uh, Boris Johnson personally have plunged. Should he, even if you think that Dominic Cummings did nothing wrong, even if you genuinely believe, and I'm sorry, I don't know how anyone can genuinely believe he did nothing wrong, wrong in this circumstance, although he has an exception. I genuinely don't understand that. Um, Even if that were the case, um, do you think it's a good idea for the Prime Minister during a pandemic to have an advisor who people think is a a liar and who's a lawbreaker and waste his political capital like that? Well, the Prime Prime Minister has sat down with Dominic Cummings, has listened at length to his explanation. He believes it's reasonable within the guidelines and within the law and I, as a cabinet minister, I, I, you know, I'm going to take my leave from that. I've also listened to the explanation. I do think that the trip to Durham was within the guidelines. We've just discussed why that's the case. But my priority now is that we do uh, devote our energy to the things that matter most to the country. Uh, certainly in my area, that's things like rough sleeping that we've just been discussing. I think it is now the right time for us to move on. And the prime minister later today will be before members of parliament at the liaison committee, no doubt uh, discussing Dominic Cummings, but also, and I hope this will be uh, the focus of questioning, the broader response to coronavirus and how we move forward as a country. And that's what matters now. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. 
feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited-edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide. Online, on DAB, and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Right now, I'm delighted to welcome to the show the Shadow Foreign Secretary and Labour MP, Lisa Nandy. Good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, well, let's uh, talk about your brief, first of all, as uh, Shadow Foreign Affairs. Big concerns over what's been happening in Hong Kong after battles between pro-democracy activists at the weekend uh, and uh, the police once again in Hong Kong after the plans for the Chinese authorities to impose a new security law. Lots of concern internationally, but realistically, what can the rest of the world do to stop China imposing this law? Well, the Foreign Secretary made a, a good first step on Friday because he joined with his Canadian and Australian counterparts um, to issue a statement um, highlighting the importance of preventing the joint declaration which we signed, which protects the rights and freedoms of people in Hong Kong from being eroded by China. But the, the truth is that looking at the protests and the use of tear gas, pepper spray and water cannons against pro-democracy protesters in recent days, he's going to have to set out concrete measures that he wants the Hong Kong administration um, and the Chinese authorities to take in the next few weeks. The the most important of those and most pressing is an independent judge-led inquiry into police brutality. Um, Without that, there will be no way of um, calming these protests down. People must be held to account for what has happened. Um, And the second very important thing is that what the protesters really want is democratic reform and universal suffrage. And without that, there's no long-term solution. So I think it's absolutely essential that the UK, with our special and long-standing relationship with the people of Hong Kong, stand up now and press for that to happen. Well, again, perhaps we assured of that when we uh, sign that joint declaration. It goes to 2047, at which point the Chinese do take full control of the country. Um, realistically, if the Chinese roll the tanks in or they just impose this law, start arresting people, uh, taking them back off to the mainland, which was the fear which started all the uh, protests originally last year, there's nothing the, the, the British, Australians, New Zealand, even the Americans can do. Realistically, we're not going to be sending the gunboats out to China at this time. Well, that's exactly the situation we need to avoid. And yesterday, China's military commander announced that they were preparing to send as many as 10,000 troops to Hong Kong to implement this new national security legislation, which was the root cause of this 
wave of protest. We've got to avoid that situation. And that's one of the reasons why I've been pushing the government. They have been quite slow to come out and make a statement around this. I want the Foreign Secretary to come to the House of Commons on Tuesday uh, and answer questions about this. There's a huge amount of concern about this, not just amongst Labour MPs, but amongst Tory MPs as well. We've seen with COVID-19 how important our international alliances are. Those alliances are based on the rule of law, on democracy and on human rights. And we cannot allow the Chinese government at this very critical moment to start eroding those rights and protections in Hong Kong. We've got to stand up for those values across the world. Um, let's also talk about obviously what's been going on here in this country. We're still dealing with a pandemic. Many think actually that China are taking advantage of the pandemic, which they helped cause uh, to uh, to take advantage of the situation in Hong Kong and elsewhere in the, the South China Sea as well. Uh, but we are battling with this pandemic. Um, do you think that Dominic Cummings uh, is going to still be in his job this time next week? Uh, I have no idea, and I think that's largely up to the Prime Minister. Dominic Cummings has said he's not going to resign. The Prime Minister said that he's not going to sack him because he believes that he didn't break break the rules that he himself helped to write. Um, It's become increasingly clear over the weekend that there are real inconsistencies in that. For some reason, Dominic Cummings seems to believe that he's a unique case. And while I've got enormous sympathy with a family where one or both parents were suffering from COVID and who have a young child, um, that is not a unique case. I've got so many constituents who've had to deal with the same thing, including frontline workers who've really, really struggled over the last few weeks. And I think it's becoming increasingly unsustainable for Dominic Cummings to stay in post and for the public to have confidence in the advice that they're given. The Prime Minister, in the end, is going to have to choose I think he can't answer those questions today. He's appearing in front of a very important committee of MPs, the Liaison Committee, who are senior backbench MPs who chair select committees. He will be asked questions about this and he needs to show that he has real answers to those questions. If he can't, then he he really does need to reflect on the fact that the public are losing confidence in this strategy. What about those who say that uh, Labour MPs have also broken the rules? OK, they're not making the rules and they're helping towards uh, in government, as Dominic Cummings has, but Stephen Kinnock visiting his parents outside in their garden and filming it. Um, another MP um, who, who attended a funeral where you know, 100 people were at a funeral, that was not allowed. What about, what about the reaction to those MPs? Were they wrong as well? well? I think they were wrong. I mean, they got it wrong. And they've both acknowledged that in the cases that you mentioned. I mean, in Stephen Kinnock's case, he thought that he was complying with the the rules that had come in a couple of days earlier because he was outside on the drive at his parents' house socially distancing. But the police pointed out that that wasn't the case. He, you know, he he said he acknowledged that. Um, Nobody's saying that people can't make mistakes in, in, in any instance. What seems fairly difficult to accept for a lot of people, including my own family and lots of families that I represent, is the idea that the person who authored those rules could then repeatedly break them and when challenged about it doesn't express any regret um, and refuses to apologise. I think for a lot of families who made much bigger sacrifices, including having loved ones die in care homes without being able to say goodbye, that really is a slap in the face particularly because the defence of that from Tory cabinet ministers was that he was putting his family first. That's what's really upset a lot of people who feel that they had to make very difficult decisions and that were very, very hard for their family members to bear um, for the greater public good. 
And if it's one rule for government advisors and one rule for the rest of us, I think we'll see that public confidence breaking down very quickly. And if people don't follow the guidance, we could be in a very bad place very, very fast. Okay, you understand why a lot of people are calling this a witch hunt against a man who delivered Brexit by many on the Remain side. Um, Emily Thornbury, your predecessor as a Shadow Foreign Secretary, tweeted yesterday, uh, so a couple of days ago, after um, there was some video footage of Dominic Cummings being heckled really quite aggressively and abusively uh, by some neighbours and others in the street as he returned home uh, to his home in Islington. And Emily Thornbury tweeted, the people of Islington, South and Finsbury can always be relied on to say it as it is. This was seen as effectively condoning abusive behaviour towards a, a public figure. Uh, do you think she should uh, apologise for that tweet? Well, I'm sure, I'm sure that she doesn't. The video that she posted had her constituents t- telling some quite heartbreaking stories, actually, about the sacrifices they've made. And they were clearly very, very angry and upset. And I understand why. But I think it is right to say that people's families are off limits. You know, Dominic Cummings is a public figure. He can be held to account, but that was his family home um, where he lives, I think, with his wife and young child. And I think it's really important as a country that we don't descend into breaking apart at this very moment. That's why this issue about Cummings and whether he followed the guidance is so Important but you're but you're saying you're saying it's together. okay for her to tweet approvingly about people basically shouting at someone in the street and shouting you know it was, some of it was really quite aggressive stuff someone putting you no know, V's up and the like we're yeah. not condoning that are we no no absolutely not I mean but I just, but, but she I, appeared to be no, well she she didn't she didn't say explicitly that she condones it so or that's okay it. no I just you know I just don't think we should be protesting outside people's houses and I understand why people are upset. And I understand why they're angry, but actually the key thing here is to get back public confidence. And that means that the Prime Minister needs to answer questions about Dominic Cummings' conduct. And if he can't answer those questions, then he needs to, 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 to take action. Because at the moment, I think people are just getting more and more angry. And I do understand why, I completely do. But that is, a, is not going to get us anywhere as a country. Okay. Let's talk about something else in relation to your, your brief as a Shadow Foreign Secretary, this prospect of uh, people getting summer holidays this year. I think a lot of people are turning their focus to when we get out of lockdown, being able to escape to a beach in Spain or wherever. Um, there's been talk about quarantine, you know, some sort of air bridges to certain countries. We're told we're going to face quarantine going into any country in the EU and then for two weeks and then two weeks when we come back again, making a holiday virtually impossible for most people. Should we be having quarantine for people who return here and should we not do a deal with other countries which have either a lesser or a similar rate of COVID uh, infection so that people can actually go on a summer holiday? Well, I think doing those deals is going to be pretty difficult because because we were so slow to respond to the pandemic in this country, there are a number of countries, including Greece, that are saying that Britain um, has to have different arrangements. So uh, I think that would be quite difficult for Britain. The government's announced seven times different quarantine measures that it wants to put in place and then rode back on them within a few hours. And I'm not sure that long-term quarantine is sustainable. It's a huge ask for people to self-isolate for two weeks after they come back from overseas. Um, and um, it, you know, has, it takes a big toll on the economy as well as on people's families. The, 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 the real solution to this is test, track and trace. Um, if you were testing people when they got off aeroplanes back into the country or preferably before they got on those aeroplanes to travel back to the country, then you wouldn't need the quarantine measures that the government's currently announced. So they're welcome as a stopgap measure in the absence of anything else. But it just highlights why it's so important that we get test, track and trace up and running. 
across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. Talk Radio. Well, uh, let's get the views now of someone who is definitely not a fan of Dominic Cummings, Lord Michael Hazardine, former Deputy Prime Minister, who joins us now. Good morning to you, Lord Hazardine. Good morning to you. Good morning. Um, Dominic Cummings uh, is, is certainly damaging the, 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 the Tory party and Boris Johnson at the moment. And not only do most of the public think he should go, but uh, the, the ratings for trust in and uh, competence of the Conservative Party have gone down. And indeed, in Boris Johnson, he's expending an awful lot of his own political capital. Um, do you think that he is right to keep his advisor or wrong? Wrong. And, have, and, and has any of your viewpoint got to do with the fact that you know, this man has, has basically helped deliver the one thing you thought was the most terrible thing to happen to this country? Are you part of a witch hunt against him? No. Why do you think he should go then? Because he broke the rules, rules he himself had um, been part uh, responsible for creating. And his position is not tenable. He's doing the Prime Minister huge damage. He is creating an atmosphere in which whatever the government needs now to do, and no one can predict that in the corona crisis, um, there'll be lots of people who say, well, they told us all this before, they won't do it, well, they, why should I? And how do you answer that question? You can't answer it. And uh, uh, so the tradition in our democracy is clear that if someone makes a mistake, is unapologetic about it, tries to deny it ever sort of happened, then uh, there's only one way out, and that's to go. Do you think if, well, you've agreed with Bobby Friedman, if he had apologised when this first emerged and said, look, I regret it, I didn't make the right decisions at the time, but um, I wasn't thinking straight, um, but I apologise, do you think he could uh, have kept his job? He might have done, yes. He might have um, done. And in terms of, um, of of what happens now, why do you think the Prime Minister is standing by him? We understand the Cabinet Ministers, we understand privately uh, uh, that, that up to nine Cabinet Ministers privately are saying he should go. Three quarters of MPs on the Tory side privately say they don't support him. But we've had a Cabinet Minister after Cabinet Minister coming out at, and supporting him. Uh, Boris Johnson has said he acted reasonably uh, at all times and, and morally. Um, why do you think the Prime Minister is so desperate to keep him? Well, you can't answer that question unless you are the Prime Minister. Um, but I'm afraid it's bound to provoke suspicions about the relationship, about the dependability of, on this guy, about Boris's view about who else there is who can help him carry the strain. Uh, now, I have no answer to any of those questions, but because you can't answer them, the Prime Minister is in a vulnerable position. And if there was a moment in British history where we do not want a Prime Minister in a vulnerable position, this is it. Well, that, that would be an argument for him keeping Dominic Cummings, then, if he relies on him so much, surely. Well, if you rely on somebody who breaks the rules that they've helped create and then tries to bluff it out, you are opening yourself up to serious questions about your judgment, aren't you? Um, the, as we understand, the Prime Minister, when he was ill and when Dominic Cummings himself at that point was ill and was in Durham, that he, he in a phone call, was told that he was, that Dominic Cummings was in Durham, wasn't in London, although obviously wouldn't have discussed the full details of that and bearing in mind he was unwell and de dealing with the, with the height of the pandemic at the time, um, perhaps understandable not to, not, not to have been a high priority for him. But the Prime Minister can't really sack his advisor 
for doing something which he's known for weeks and weeks that he did, can he? This is only going to, there can only be a resignation at this point rather than a sacking. Well, <laughs> there are ways in which these things can be done. Uh, conversations can take place and they should take place, and one way or another, the boil should be lanced. But doesn't every Prime Minister have someone on whom they rely? Margaret Thatcher did, Tony Blair did with, with Alistair Campbell. Every Prime Minister has someone who is their trusted, not just confidant, well, but someone who they trust, who did, whose judgment who, they trust. Who did Margaret have upon whom she relied? Well, didn't, they say, didn't they say she relied on Willie Whitelaw? Ah, but you've hit the nail on the head. He was a member of the Cabinet. He was a senior conservative politician, uh, and he was accountable in Parliament. That's the problem here, that Mr. Cummings is not accountable to anybody, uh, and except in the most bizarre circumstances, cannot be questioned by anybody. Um, and that's one of the problems that uh, people have. Who well, is no, but this is, no, but that's a ridiculous argument, Lord Hestown, with all due respect. You every single, it's ridiculous, every but single, I don't it's yes, ridiculous, that's why I, I said it. Say it. Every single prime minister has has unaccountable, unelected senior advisors on whom who they trust. Every cabinet minister has the same. This is how Excuse government me, is can run. I just, before you carry on, uh, you first of all said that uh, there was a senior advisor upon whom she was relied. It turned out to be a cabinet minister. But it's irrelevant now whether you're it's a cabinet minister irrelevant. Or not. I don't believe it is irrelevant. And anyway, my own experience of working for Margaret, particularly at those difficult times, is that she was very open to discussion and ideas. Uh, I had a very close relationship with her at that time, um, as we know about the Liverpool experience. So Margaret was not dependent on any one person, even Willie. Uh, she used him in circumstances undoubtedly as as a stress tester, but uh, that just was not realistic to think she was so reliant. And what about those people who are shouting at the radio right now and saying, look, you know, you're, you're a Ramona, you were trying to undermine the Brexit vote, you've always hated Dominic Cummings, he, he delivered Brexit uh, against everything you've been fighting for for goodness knows how many years, you left your party, well, you know, you, you're threatened to leave your party over it, um, that, that, that actually, you know, of course you want him out, this is a witch hunt. Yeah, well, then you shouldn't bother to ring me because my views aren't <laughs> worth hearing. <laughs> I'm, I'm asking you the question if people sure, are saying I've already that. answered it. I mean, if you think that I am so trivial and my views are so trivially based, you shouldn't put me anywhere near public opinion. Uh, I, I don't hate Dominic Cummings. I strongly disapprove of his position, and I personally would never have appointed him. But you must know, long, long before any question of this issue came up, I have publicly said that I believe the special advisor system is wrong, and I, if I'd been prime minister, would have got rid of it. Um, and, and if you want the example, the classic example of why it's so wrong, we saw Dominic Cummings sacking the special advisor to the Chancellor of the Exchequer, and the Chancellor had to go. Uh, he, he, Sajid was absolutely right to do that. No, prime, no, no cabinet minister can accept the fact that Number 10 has got a spy in the court. But that was... That was sanctioned by the Prime Minister. Ultimately, this yes, all comes down to the, the You're making the whole point. You're making the whole point that the Prime Minister is 
uh, interwoven with this guy in public opinion terms, and that is extremely dangerous, particularly as he's not accountable to anybody. Just finally, uh, let's let's go with yes or no. Do you think Dominic Cummings will still be in his job in a week's time? I don't know. Nobody knows. But that's not the question. The question is, should he be? And the answer to that is no. Online, on DAB, and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Thanks for listening to today's Julia Hartley Brewer coronavirus update. Please don't forget to like, comment, and most importantly, subscribe. And you can catch me live on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 till 10. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.